And as the leader, you need to realize you're taking your family with you in that fear. All right, unpack that. <laughs> I mean, you could, you could say harsh things to men and, it, and, and they laugh and you're adorable. So Don't it, be an idiot. <laughs> Shazam. All right. Her name is Grace, but she's got a little bit of Old Testament in her. No, the family pays the consequences of the leader's decision. And if he's not asking the Lord to lead him in that decision, the family has to pay the cost of that. Well, howdy, Mark and Grace Driscoll here. Hey thank, guys. thank you for joining us for the Real Marriage Podcast. And uh, we are turning 50. 50. It's right in the window of our 50th birthday. Uh, we're aging in dog years. So if it seems like we're a little tired, it's because we're 350 years old, but we're doing good. <laughs> and uh, Grace, how's 50 for you, sweetie pie? You know, it, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. The check engine light comes in and turns on around 50. And I always like to say men age like milk and women age like wine. So that's where we're at. And today we're going to jump into uh, the book of Ruth. So for this season's episodes, we're just going to root it in a book of the Bible. But we picked a short one. It's only four chapters for you non-reader guys. You can do this. We're not going to go verse by verse through the entire book. We're going to pull out some of the major themes and threads. And we've also got a free devotional study guide to help you learn God's word. We want to give it to you. You can spend six weeks kind of going through it and then talk about it on your date night to tee up your conversation. All right. So babe, let's jump right into the book of Ruth. Great little book in the Old Testament. It's the Cinderella story of the Old Testament. Just out of your heart, as a woman, wife, mother, thoughts on the book of Ruth. First first reactions, first reflections. I think Ruth is a real woman with real struggles and we see God's righteousness through her. In this story, we see her live through a lot of hard things and turn to God as a new believer. And I just have a lot of respect for her because she really walks and listens to Jesus, walks with him and listens to him. And I just really have a lot of admiration for her. Their story, and we're going to get into it, it is as painful, as complicated, as difficult, with as many insurmountable, impossible odds as anyone could imagine. And it ends really happily. And the the hope of the story is that God has that same opportunity for each of us in our relationships. And theirs didn't start in a good place, no. but it ended in a good place. That's the great love story, the Cinderella story of the Old Testament of Ruth. And uh, we would submit to you as well, just tangentially, if you're a parent, how awesome is this book, not only for your marriage, but to help your kids? Yeah, it, it's a training manual, really. And it, it's a book that shows that we can start anywhere. Uh, and we can start at the bottom and God still has a plan for our life. Even when we wander and come back, he still has a plan. He's still going to make it right as long as we're looking to him. Yeah, the the story really is one where we don't want to give it all away because we got a whole couple of episodes <laughs> to go. One of the women starts as an unbeliever. The other starts as a rebellious, bitter, unpracticing faith believer. And, and God has good for both of them. Well, just even on this too, we've got two daughters and uh, our oldest daughter is now married, which is crazy. Um, and when she was little, the kids were little. We have five kids. We were on vacation and I just told the kids, hey, each of you pick a book of the Bible that you just want to read while we're on vacation. And uh, we, we took an extended vacation. It was multiple weeks. And we just want to talk to you about it. Just see what you're learning. Just kind of make it conversational. Well, our oldest daughter at the time, do you have any idea maybe how old she was at that time? I don't know, 10. Yeah, maybe around 10. She picked the book of Ruth for the summer. 
and she just read it and studied it and read some notes in a study Bible, and we talked about it. And God used the book of Ruth to really instill in her some understanding of what to be looking for in a husband, mm-hmm. how to walk as char- in character as a, as a girl and then a young woman. And so Ruth could not only be a blessing to your marriage, if you have kids, it could be a real blessing to your kids. Mm-hmm. Boaz is this amazing story, an example for your boys. Ruth is this amazing story for your girls. Well, jumping right in, the book starts in one of the darkest seasons of Israel's history, God's people were totally rebellious, totally defiant over an extended period of time. And so as a consequence, God lifted his blessing from them and he allowed famine to come to the land. And so think economic crisis, think people are starving and dying. Think, uh, I mean, if you've ever seen people, I know this has never happened, but if you've ever walked into Costco and seen everybody grabbing everything and <laughs> running for their life, including hand sanitizer and toilet paper, that's what was going on at the Hebrew Costco. Uh, it was a complicated time. The economy was torpedoed. Joblessness was high. Political strain was high. There was a lot of pressure, economic, political, social, Probably on marriage and family. And a lot of panic and fear. Mm-hmm. It's emotionally, yeah, sounds fairly familiar. Dark. Mm-hmm. So there's some of you that are hearing this. You're like, yeah, I lost my job. I lost my business. Financially, things are very complicated. We're not sure how to survive or what to do. Fearing death. Yeah, even mm-hmm. fearing death. Or you may have lost people that you love. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. So emotionally, you talked about this on the drive in. Um, How important is it or how can we put ourselves into the story? Super important when we're engaging with the scripture that we first ask the Holy Spirit who enlightened the scriptures to be written to enlighten us as to what he's trying to teach us through the scriptures and the story of the Lord that he's trying to um, grow us in. And so for us, as we engage with the scripture, it's really important to say, okay, what would it be like to be in this story? What would I be experiencing? What fears, what um, joys, what whatever's going on in the story, how can I relate to this? What in this story relates to my life right now? And how did they walk through it? How did they look to the Lord or not look to the Lord and what were the consequences of that. It really does help to put ourselves in that scenario. So that would be our encouragement to you as we encourage you and hopefully help you jump into the book of Ruth. Which characters do you identify with? Which circumstances are they in that you're in? And try to shorten that distance between an ancient book and the modern problems because we're still struggling with the same things. Mm -hmm. So their, their season was a dark one. Their country was in crisis. Their economy was in crisis. People were dying. There was a lot of panic. And so what the father decides, the head of this believing family, he decides there's no hope here. We need to move. He runs in fear. He runs in fear. You either respond in faith or fear. He runs in fear. And fear-making decisions never lead to the will of God. And as the leader, you need to realize you're taking your family with you in that fear. All right, unpack that. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you could, you could say harsh things to men and, it, and, and they laugh and you're adorable. So it, Don't be an idiot. <laughs> Shazam. All right. <laughs> her name is Grace, but she's got a little bit of Old Testament in her. No, the family pays the consequences of the leader's decision. And if he's not asking the Lord to lead him in that decision, the family has to pay the cost of that. And so it's not just a little decision to move your family. Um, yes, the circumstances were desperate with famine and God's judgment, but 
sometimes we have to endure the judgment of God because we have sinned and we need to ask the Lord, how do we walk through this dark season, not try and escape it and go to a place that's godless with Mm -hmm. our family um, and make things more desperate. Um, So yeah, we need to, as leaders, men need to consider that and not just think, oh, I'm going to run. Well, and then there's stories in the Old Testament like Noah where he led his family Mm -hmm. and God led them through tragedy, crisis, disaster. Yeah. Instead of leading through it, the, the head of the household here, um, Elimelech is the man's name. He's the husband and father. So Elimelech runs in fear and he decides, you know what, let's get our family out of town. Let's relocate. There are times that God does call a family to move. He yes. did that with Abraham. Yep. Leave your mother and father and go to this land that I'll show you. There are other times that you need to stay, mm-hmm. as was the case with Noah and his family. How does a family know if life isn't working, if things aren't going well, do we stay and figure it out or is God transitioning us into a move? Well, we had that fam- that decision to make as a family as well. And God led us away from where we were to a new place. And so we had to wrestle through that because that was a big decision for us as a family. And we had five kids to bring along with us and we could not take that lightly. And I wasn't we were not always on the same page in the beginning of that decision. Um, And so we had to continue to seek the Lord until you and I were unified in that decision um, so that we could be unified as a family and so that you could lead our family in unity and not division. It could have looked very differently if we had been divided in that. And I think part of the problem with Elimelech and Naomi, they were divided in the decision. Mm -hmm. There's no indication that Naomi wanted to move. Uh, He's the one who made the decision and the family followed him for the sake of unity, uh, but he was not walking in wisdom. Well, and she would have been left desperate even more so if she had tried to stay with her sons in a place that a famine was as a woman in those days. Yeah, she didn't have the same legal or financial opportunities that are afforded today. And so men, hear me in this, the decisions you make, they not only affect you, they affect your marriage, they Mm -hmm. affect your children, and they affect generations. Yes. Because things like, where do we live? Who do our kids grow up with? Determines who will they marry? Determines what kind of grandchildren will we have? And sometimes under crisis, we can make very short-sighted decisions under pain that we don't also consider the long-term implications and complications. And that was Elimelech. And we have a God that knows the future, so it's a good idea to ask him how to get there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, for you and I, though, we took time. It took, um, it took, gosh, what, six, eight months before yes. we came to full agreement. Mm-hmm. And as the leader, the head of the household, uh, we believe in singular headship, plural leadership. So as the head, I, I need to take responsibility, but we're plural leaders, so we need to come to full agreement on all the decisions yeah. that we make. Mm-hmm especially so that we don't have a divided household. Because if mom and dad are divided, then the kids pick a side. Now you've got a divided household. Jesus said a divided household can't stand stand. it, falls. And so they're not unified. He's making a short-term, short-sighted, faithless, fear-based decision, packs the whole family, moves 50 miles, which in that day was a big deal. Uh, You're going primarily on foot. And for those of you who maybe don't know the story, uh, he moves them into the country of Moab. We're in Ruth chapter one. Tell them a little bit about Moab and the Moabites. Well, they came out of an incestuous relationship with Lot and his daughter. And so they were a generation of people that were from incest and godlessness. They worshiped idols and 
all kinds of ungodly things. So the story of Lot is he's a lot of drama um, <laughs> and he's a lot of problems. He was a relative of Abraham back in the book of Genesis and he made a big mistake. And that was, hey, uh, let's move our family. He moved his family into Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. And uh, as a result, they were surrounded with sexual perversion and confusion. Mm -hmm. And God told him, hey, you better get the heck out. Send a few angels for an escape route. They ran, fleed as, as a family. What did Lot's wife do? She looked back thinking, oh, the old life. I wish I had that. She missed the olden days, mm -hmm. even though it was sick and perverted and bad for her family. They should have never moved to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Well, then she turns into a pillar of salt. They're hiding up in the mountains, dad and the daughters. The daughters think the end of the world is coming. They really want to be mothers. So they concoct this crazy plan to get dad drunk a couple nights in a row, sleep with their dad so that they can get pregnant. And the moral of the story is don't put your kids and your family in Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you get them out of Sodom and Gomorrah, make sure you get Sodom and Gomorrah out of your family. That's right. The reason that Lot's wife turned back, they left Sodom and Gomorrah, but Sodom and Gomorrah had not left her. Mm -hmm. It was in her heart. She wanted to go back to that old perverted, nasty lifestyle. And it continued in her daughters. And then that same sickness lived in her daughters. And so this incestuous family uh, creates a, a race, a line called the Moabites. Mm -hmm. And it's basically, this is what happens when men lead poorly, when uh, there's perversion in the family, when you don't have sexual health and boundaries for your children, and, uh, and God's people said, we want nothing to do with these people. These people are perverted, they live in the wrong place, and they, they live the wrong way. Crisis hits, what happens, Elimelech goes back and does the exact same thing that Lot does. Mm -hmm. He moves his family to the wrong place, and he surrounds them with a lot of perversion and confusion, making matters worse. The Moabites created a cult. They were an offshoot of biblical faith. They created their own temple. They created their own Bible, cut a bunch of books of the Bible out. They created their own sacrifices, and they worshiped their own demon gods. So they're an incestuous race, meaning all generations of the family are really perverted, sleeping together. I mean, it's just sickness. And they have a demon god, and they're part of a cult. So think of an incestuous swingers, adultery, fornicator, demonic cult. Wow. Yeah. I mean, today we would call it Vegas, mm -hmm. West Hollywood, or half of the internet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sadly. So Elimelech moves his family there. It's not going to be any better. There may be a more economic opportunity, but it comes at a tremendous spiritual, moral, relational cost. And then he dies and leaves them there. Think about that. How many men make our decisions primarily based upon economic opportunity? Not, are we going to have good people to have relationships with, a good church to be involved in? Uh, will our children be surrounded with believers that they could potentially marry and have a happily ever after story? Many men just think, life hurts. Where can I go to make the most money? Yeah. Yeah, it's selfish. It's very selfish. And it's not God-led. Not at all. So Limelech moves the family. Like you said, the boys end up falling in love. They've got sons. So who do the sons fall in love with? Mobile women. Mobile women, because that's the only women that are there. Right. Right. If you send your kids off into some environment where there are no believers, don't be shocked if they fall in love with somebody who doesn't love God. Mm -hmm. And you could look at this and say, boy, this, these boys made dumb decisions. Their dad architected the universe that they lived in and also those decisions that dad made, they limited the opportunities that the family and the boys had. So they marry Moabite women. One is named? Ruth. 
the other's name is? Orpah. Orpah. So the, the Old Testament forbids God's people from marrying the Moabites. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters as to your sons. It was against the Bible. They were not allowed to marry these people. And if they did, Deuteronomy 23, 3, no Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation, which is 400 years. Don't marry these people. If you do, nobody in your family gets to go to church for 400 years. So it was serious. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like an A-level Mm no-no. And so they get married and they can't have any kids. 10 years later, they're childless. Why do you think that is? Well, I think God doesn't bless what when we're not walking in his plan. So sometimes God can close the womb if the mm-hmm. family or couple is walking in disobedience. Not all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's infertility, the curse, demonic Absolutely. opposition. But in this case, they get married 10 years later, no kids. And we know that she can have kids because, spoiler alert, later on, she's mm-hmm. going to give birth to the grandfather Ruth, of, yeah. of David. Ruth is going to. Mm-hmm. So the, here they are. They're in a godless country. No believers around. Can this family go to church? No, not even close. There's not, unless they want to worship in a cult and worship demon gods, but no, they can't worship their own God there. How important do you think it is for a family when crisis hits to not just make economics, but God's people and a healthy spiritual church family highest priority? Well, we've seen a lot of scenarios being in ministry all these years when people move away from God's people Um, they start to have major issues because we need that community. We need um, just that natural relationship and connectedness and accountability within those relationships to continue to walk with the Lord and be faithful and grow and mature as believers and grow in our relationships and our marriages. And we would just encourage you, maybe the circumstances that you are in are to some degree hardship and tragedy. Those were the circumstances that they were facing. Hardship was the economic, social, political unrest. And then moving the family actually escalated it to full-blown tragedy. And the deaths. Well, then talk about that. What happens to the men? Well, Limelech dies first, and then the two sons both die, um, Malon and Kilion. And so the women are left alone. And what's crazy is Malon and Kilion mean sick and dying. Yeah. I mean, that's like calling your... Two boys. This is, this is tuberculosis and COVID. Mm-hmm. It's like, why mm-hmm. would you name your boys? That's And the irony in it is that Elimelech was running from death and the famine, and he ends up dying and his two sons with him. So that Leaving the was, women in famine. Yeah. So it was worse for him to move to escape what he thought was going to be potential death only to die in a new place and leave his wife without anyone they knew around them. So sometimes fear will cause us to run and we run into a place that is the place that we feared. Mm -hmm. That's why you have to be led by the will of God. Absolutely. Not by the fear of the circumstance. And I would just submit to you men, Elimelech is a bad family architect. Um, Not only does your family live in a home that is architected, they live in a life that must be architected. We would never move our family. If if, Let's say you were going to buy a a home for your family. Say, okay, well, tell me about it. Well, we didn't really get an architect and we didn't really get any permits. And the person who built it isn't really a contractor, but we'd love you to move your family in. Answer is no, I don't move my family into a home that is not architected, is not planned and designed, and is not built uh, so that it can be sustainable. But we move our family into lives that are completely unarchitected, non-designed. Mm-hmm. 
And many men, they make their decisions based upon reactions to pain. I need more money, do this. We don't like this town, move here. We don't like this church, go there. It's just constant reaction to pain rather than silent solitude, seeking that small, still voice of God, finding and walking in the will of God and architecting a plan for the family. And if you don't do that, man, you may actually make things worse. And life has its hardships already. And when we, like for us, when we came our, to our decision unified, it wasn't that it was simple and easy and everything was great after we moved, but it was that we knew that's what God told us together. And so when the trials came after moving, it was a lot easier to walk through those because we, we knew we were still walking God's will and we knew he would continue to walk us through to where he wanted us. And so when we aren't walking God's will and then more chaos comes and then we're making more decisions out of fear, we, we got to find our way back to God's will and his plan um, or we will continue to cause more destruction and pain than already happens in life naturally. He died, his sons died, there was death and, and hardship, but then it was worse because they weren't around their people. God's people. Yeah, and so it, it just is so important to make sure that whatever God is asking, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment to us, that we stay in God's plan. So we'll pick up some hope. We're talking about, <laughs> I mean, we're at the point now, it doesn't get any darker. Famine hits because God is cursing them. They move 50 miles. They join a cult. They live with a bunch of perverts. They can't go to church. Uh, the husband and the two sons die. Now you've got three broke and emotionally broken widows mm -hmm. far away from God's presence and people. And they either stay in the demonic perverted cult or they move back into the economic disaster of a famine and land of judgment. And it's three women that have got this decision to make, not all of whom are even believers. If you were discouraged, I'm, I'm sure we've doubled down <laughs> on that. But the point is you need to be honest about where you are. Yes and then see what God would have for your future. Yes. What they don't do in this story is pretend like everything is okay. It's honest. And what God wants us to be is honest and say, you know what? This is where we start. So the point is, it doesn't matter where you start. You just got to get started there. Yeah. And, and, if, and if you hear this story and you feel encouraged, because it's like, you know, we're in a bad spot. We're not in that bad. Well, then you're blessed. Yeah. But even if your situation is as dark and dreary and, and dangerous as theirs was, if God had a plan forward for them, he has a plan forward for you, yeah. which is the hope in the rest of the book. So we'll come back and talk more about this in the next episode. But let me just ask you, honey, in light of this story, what could or should have Naomi, the wife, have done differently under these circumstances? And then I'll talk about what I think Elimelech could have done differently or should have done differently. Well, if she didn't, I think she should have respectfully posed the question of, is this what God wants? Are we unified in our decision? Let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. Let's really make sure that we are doing what God is asking us to do and really bringing up that question to Elimelech. Is there any indication that they sought wise counsel, prayed, fasted, asked for advice? We don't know other than, you know, we see insinuated that um, they were, he was being disobedient to go to Moab. So oftentimes a man will make a decision without being unified with his wife, without seeking wise counsel, without prayer and fasting. And if you ask him why, he'll just say, well, life really sucks. We need something better. And I got a job and we can make money there. Mm 
Mm-hmm. That's not enough. That's never enough. Because God can help you make money wherever he wants you to be. Well, and at the end of the day, men, I want you to hear this. You need to be a provider, but being a provider, it is, an, it is a financial provider, but it's also an emotional provider. Absolutely. It's a spiritual provider. It's a relational provider. Um, you can't just provide financially and assume that that's what the Bible means mm-hmm. by providing for the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible says if a man does not provide for the needs of his family, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. That providing for the needs of the family is not just putting money in the account. It's putting love into the relational account. It's putting uh, the Holy Spirit into the soul account. And and as men, you need to learn. We need to all just accept this additional level of responsibility that the world that we architect is the world that our wives, kids, and grandkids live in. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we've got hope. It's going to get better. Actually, it's the great turnaround, epic, amazing redemption, Cinderella love story of the Old Testament. But let's just be honest about where we're at. And so for you ladies, um, Grace's admonition would be, are you following your husband? And is he following the Lord? And if he's not following the Lord, how can you help him follow the husband so that you can both follow the Lord? Mine for the men would be, what kind of architect and leader are you? And are you seeking a way to provide for the total needs of your family, starting with the soul and spirit and the people of God and the presence of God, which is where we'll pick it up in the next episode.